Everybody, welcome back to Inside the Genie's Lamp podcast. So today we are going to be going through some community questions that have essentially been answered, or I suppose questioned, to <laughs> to me through either Facebook messages, Instagram messages, uh, Instagram stories, or just any other means that people can get in contact with me. Today we are going to be going through uh, a few of those questions or the ones that I would enjoy answering or people that have been waiting for a while figured i might as well just chuck them in so today we are going to be going through uh training around or with high blood pressure uh breathing during lifting uh losing weight without tracking calories and also how do i get motivated during a rut slash plateau so um i suppose the first one i'm just going to start off with the blood pressure question um, I'm pretty sure this question came from, and by the way, if you have asked this question, I am so sorry if I get the question wrong, because essentially I've just taken notes on my phone and it's just, it essentially just says blood pressure, which is a keyword for me to talk about blood pressure. I know that much. So I'm just going to go on a rant, go on a tangent and see how we go from here. If you have more follow-up questions about this, or if it was your question and I didn't answer something, feel free to just message me on Facebook, Instagram, or whatever, and we'll just go from there. So first off, how do you train with high blood pressure or tips on training with high blood pressure? So when it comes to training with high blood pressure. I've had a few clients in the past that have been on uh, blood pressure medications for either high or low, both ends of the spectrum. Um, when it comes to training with high blood pressure, it's more about what are your capabilities, where are you at, and exactly what can you tolerate. As long as you don't do... I suppose the general rule of thumb is don't do anything massive overhead straight away just because of the sheer danger that comes with that if you do get lightheaded and or pass out or whatever um, avoid blood flow restriction training which is essentially i don't think anybody on here is going to do it but just in case it's essentially where you tie a band around uh your bicep you tie a band around the lower part of your bicep and the upper part of your bicep and you just train like all oh, fuck let the blood go in there then you release it and then all the blood comes rushing to that muscle part i don't think anyone on here is doing that so that's good um but the blood pressure i suppose the higher blood pressure when it comes to training it's a little bit of a tricky one because i don't know the specifics about it but it's more about finding your limitations testing out where you're at and then trying to push those very 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 slightly you know, it's not anything that you're going to be trying to break PBs every single week or anything like that. I don't think people should be breaking PBs every week, but um, try and not go from sitting to standing super quick. So burpees, I mean, burpees in general, just fuck the burpees right off. Um, but in general, try not to go from sitting to standing super quick. Try not to do a lot of movements that are going to be altering your head position in space. For example, if you do sit-ups, um, try to keep your head like chin to chest as you do the sit up so it's like you're you're looking where you're going and it's not the typical I'm just going to use burpees again as the example where you're looking up then you're looking down then you're looking at the floor and you're just moving all over the place um, high intensity interval training 
or HIIT workouts, I would try to avoid them. Pretty much anything that is going to drastically increase your uh, heart rate is just avoid it. And if working out in general, and in general for me is typical strength training. So if it comes to typical strength training or I suppose just working out, you need to figure out where your limits are. So if getting on the treadmill for 10 minutes causes you to go lightheaded, well, I think we need to figure out something a little bit lighter, like uh, maybe Pilates or something like that. Um, on the... Oh, too many notifications. Um, so yeah, maybe Pilates is a good place to start. Things they're doing to stretch, mobilize, uh, de-stress you, and hopefully get some blood flowing. And the biggest thing for me is... What are your current stresses, physical, mental, emotional? Um, try to focus on sleep as much as you can, just general things to help get the blood pressure down. I know a lot of people are on medications. Um, you can also alter your nutrition, e.g. Um, calorie and macro tracking to hopefully get, um, you know, it's it's get some weight off. I'm just assuming. So... The reason I have to assume is because almost every client that I've worked with that has had high blood pressure, they've been overweight and they haven't done any sort of exercise prior to now getting started with high blood pressure. And the answer to that is first off, find your limits, include some cardio, do what you can with cardio. And if that's okay and you get the green light, like no lightheaded, no, you know, feeling dizzy or anything like that. Fantastic. Move on to the next thing. Start with machines. Um, like seated chest press, seated rows, lat pull downs, things like that, that are on the machines that only go from A to B, because there's not a whole lot of stability that is needed to do that. So for example, if you get lightheaded, if you start to feel faint and you drop it, the machine is just going to go back to where it was, as opposed to doing a free weight, like barbell shoulder press or a deadlift or something. If you get lightheaded halfway through it and drop it, it's like, Oh no, I'm going to die. So that is obviously, that's obviously bad. Don't do that. So training around blood pressure, your doctor will typically be able to give you some sort of advice, but that is pretty much where I would start. Get some cardio in, see how you go. If you got the green light, fantastic. Move on to machines, general workout there, like three sets of 10 of upper body day, three sets of 10 of lower body day. Do that. See how you go. If you get the green light, no faintiness, dizziness, whatever. Fantastic. Keep going. And then over time, by just exploring where your limits are, if you get lightheaded, if whatever, then chances are you'll typically be just improving your health markers as you go through by finding out where your limits are and being consistent with getting into the gym or just being physically active through the weeks and months and everything like that. So finding your limits is also going to help you know, sometimes when it comes to high blood pressure, some people just have a fear around it. Now, I'm not saying that's you at all for the person that did ask the question. Um, I'm not saying that's you at all, but when it comes to an injury or a disability or whatever, mainly an injury, it's typically where people have the mental game of, I did this last time and it made me feel like shit. So now they've completely avoided it. And if we're talking high blood pressure in this regard, they've typically done 
one thing that where they passed out and now they've got a fear around getting back into the gym and doing physical activity and doing this stuff. So I would start light. Um, yeah, I would start light, do some cardio, see how you feel. If you feel okay, fantastic. The next day come in or the next week come in, do some machines, do a full program around machines, see how you go. And if that's awesome, fantastic, either keep doing it. Um, and then when you feel ready, try some free weights, go to the local PT or get an online program or do whatever and just ease your way into it. Um, that's what I would recommend with blood pressure. Ease yourself into it. Don't do anything that is going to kill you straight away and just find out where your limits are. Push them very gently. Um, breathing during lifting. So the main reason why we breathe during lifting um, or the role that it plays, I believe was the question that was originally asked is what does the role of breathing play during lifting? Um, you would have heard a lot of coaches through the time say big deep breath brace and then lift so the reason we take that big breath is to fill up or i suppose expand the diaphragm which is going to increase intra-abdominal pressure which is essentially like if you've ever seen people wearing those weightlifting belts it's essentially like creating your own weightlifting belt by taking that breath in filling everything up so there's no space to go so if you have that intra-abdominal pressure by taking that giant breath and then bracing, there's not really anywhere that could break, essentially. And I'm not saying break as in like completely snap. I'm saying break as in like lose rigidity through the body. So for example, if we look at deadlifts, deadlifts are a prime example of breathing and bracing. So you would have seen the person go up to the bar and stand over top of it, get their feet right, and then arms straight up, take a giant breath in, and then they swing their arms down onto the bar incredibly quickly and then grip it and rip it. The reason they chuck their arms up is to find their lats first off, increase some room through their rib cage, take a giant breath in to increase that pressure through their abdominal region, and then when they're holding their breath, they go down, grip it, like obviously grip the bar and brace before they pick up and then they just rip it off the ground. So the giant breath in increases that intra-abdominal pressure, which essentially means it's going to be a lot harder for muscles to move or give way, as opposed to if you went into it with no breath and no pressure in your abdominal region, it would be incredibly hard to maintain stiffness. So it increases rigidity through the torso as well, because through your stomach, there are a hell of a lot of muscles. And the weird thing about it is there's no bones there. So since there's no bones there, it's a lot harder. I mean, there are like your lowest rib and then obviously your spine, but the spine shouldn't be lifting and because there's no bones there, it's incredibly hard for that area to be rigid. For example, you do a bicep curl, your upper arm is going to stay straight no matter what because there's a, a humerus there. Um, if you do a squat or a leg extension, your femur is going to stay in place because there's a fucking bone there. It's going to be rigid as all hell as you go through the movement. So, you know, there's other ways, there's smaller ways that that could fuck up when there's a bone there, but very unlikely. 
So the reason that we breathe is to give ourselves that extra pressure, that extra stability, that extra, extra rigidity be, to make up for the fact that there's a lot of muscles there that can move. And because it is typically squishy, because it's our stomach and it's just going to help increase the, or I suppose decrease the likelihood that something is going to fall out of place. For example, your back starting to round or arch or your hips drop or whatever. So that giant breath is to decrease the space between all these muscles and then the giant breath in, oh, sorry, then bracing once you've got that giant breath is essentially just going to be you creating the pressure and then you pushing against that pressure, which is going to give you a fair bit of tense feeling. And if you're under the bar or about to move the bar with that extra rigidity, you're going to move it a lot more fluid with the decreased risk of injury. And it's also just going to create more power and strength under the bar. So, um, that is the role that breathing plays during lifting, um, in terms of breathe and brace. When it comes to just general breathing, for example, um, if you're doing a, you know, general thing, three sets of 12 for a seated row, um, it's going to be very similar to what I just said, but the difference is you don't have to breathe and brace every single rep. The main reason that you are going to move into controlling your breathing and monitoring that and getting it correct and the timing correct with breathing during normal lifts, lat pull downs, seated rows, uh, dumbbell chest press, stuff like that. The reason you get your timing correct is one, because of the, obviously what I just said, the pressure in the body and two, when you move a weight that already increases pressure through your body, through the kinetic chain, it increases pressure. So we want to make sure we release that pressure by breathing. So the one thing I say to clients that are new to breathing and lifting is whenever you move a weight through space, you breathe out. And then when it's going back to its resting place, you breathe in. So for example, if I was doing a lat pull down, as I would pull it down into like, obviously from the top towards my chest, as I'm bringing it down, I would breathe out. And then as it goes back up, I would breathe back in to increase that pressure and rigidity so that when I pull back down, it's just going to be a solid timing pattern. It's going to make me feel less lightheaded. It's going to give me the pressure I need to complete the lift so that everything feels nice and locked in. Um, and then it's also most likely for a lot of back movements or just any movement really, now that I think of it. Um, it's also going to, if you don't know how to use your diaphragm, which is just under your ribs. So if, if you're not driving right now, or <laughs> you can do this for the love of God, keep your hands on the wheel if you are driving. But if you take two fingers from each hand and find your lowest true rib, which is, you know, if you start just under your chest and go down, 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 down until you feel it become your stomach. If you dig both of those fingers in under the rib and you breathe and your fingers didn't get pushed out by your diaphragm, that's a chest breath. 
So when it comes to breathing using your diaphragm, if you take, if you do the exact same thing, fingers under the ribs, if you take a breath in, your fingers should almost like pop out of the ribs. As soon as you go, the fingers should pop out right there. So give that a little go to know if you're essentially doing diaphragm breathing or diaphragmatic breathing or chest breathing. So for a lot of people, when it comes to chest breathing is that's what they do when they lift weights, which if you do it right now, take a giant breath in and fill up your chest as much as you can. It's going to decrease the space from your shoulder to your neck, which is why a lot of people get tension headaches because they breathe through their chest, which is just contracting all the muscles in their neck area and chest area so that when they try to do diaphragm breathing, they're stuck almost in like a shrugged position because that's just the way that they breathe. Stomach breathing is awesome for decreasing anxiety. It's awesome for de-stressing people. It's awesome for bracing or breathing and bracing during lifting. Diaphragmatic breathing or just breathing through your diaphragm is a skill in itself and beyond important. So I would get used to breathing through diaphragm. Um, easiest way to do it for anybody out there. Lie completely flat on your stomach, forehead on the ground, and just breathe. And the first thing that you should feel is your stomach pushing into the ground. Do that 10 times and it will help relieve back pain. It will help you uh, contract your abdominals a bit more. And yeah. Just <laughs> give that a go, breathe through your diaphragm and see where it takes you. Um, to the person that asked that question, I should really write down names and who asked this and write down their actual question. That's a, that's a mistake for next time. Um, blood pressure, done. Breathing during lifting, done. Losing weight without tracking calories. Before I move on to that one, uh, the person that did ask breathing during lifting, if I miss something or there is a particular question that you want message me through facebook or instagram and i'll answer it for you losing weight without tracking calories this is a pretty simple one um that is sort of like a two-parter because a it's incredibly simple just jump on the scales every single day and over a seven day period if your weight has dropped fantastic you're losing weight keep doing what you're doing if your weight has gone up over those seven days or even six days, then take a look at your eating patterns. Can you get rid of a snack somewhere? Can you switch over a high fat thing for a high protein thing? Um, essentially just let the scales be the accountability tool of do I need to change my eating habits or do I need to start going to the gym or do I need to start doing a little bit more? The thing I will say with that is that if you're maintaining your weight, like you're not gaining or losing much, um, go to the gym, develop strength. That's going to be the easiest thing to do. If you're maintaining your weight, go to the gym, develop strength, increase the muscle. If you're stuck at a certain weight, that's a different thing, which I'll get into after this. Um, but if you're maintaining weight, try and find... Uh, maybe a hundred calories per day that you could get rid of and a hundred calories to find is incredibly easy it could be literally half of a muesli bar and if you do that and then go to the gym and focus on your strength you'll typically start losing weight and just to let you know 
we're not looking to lose a kilo a week or anything like that. If we do, fucking fantastic. But that shouldn't be the be all and end all losing a kilo a week. Quite often people lose about 400 grams a week. Um, that is the most sustainable method of doing that 400 grams a week, which is going to lean into maintaining muscle mass, if not building some, um, just from the tensile strength of the muscle fibers. Um, the made it sound like it was a fucking rope then, um, increasing the density of the muscle fibers, I suppose. Um, yeah. So that's how you lose weight without tracking calories. You essentially just take a look at the scales. If they're going down, fantastic. Keep doing what you're doing. If they're going up or maintaining, um, first off, if they're going up, it's going to be a little bit more of a dramatic intervention, I suppose. Like where is an entire snack that I could get rid of? Or can I reduce portion sizes? Or can I switch fat foods for high protein foods? For example, chicken thighs into chicken breasts. Um, and for maintaining, it's just going to be I mean, for all of these cases, go to the gym, build strength, because it's just going to be the number one thing that you could fucking do in the first place, regardless. Um, then the thing for maintaining with nutrition is just find 100 calories here and there. Maybe if you have dessert every night, don't have dessert every night. Have it every second night. Have it every third night or only have it on Fridays or something like that. Turn it into a treat rather than a habit. Um, it'll make you look forward to it more. It'll decrease your calories. And when you do have it, you won't have as much guilt or shame around it because it'll have a sort of quote unquote, I've earned this sort of feel to it. Um, so that one is pretty simple, but if there is a mind game behind getting on the scales, I can tell you that scales don't really mean anything in the grand scheme of things. They are quite literally just an accountability tool to say, okay, this is where I'm at today. A lot of people put their self-worth into the scales by saying, oh my God, I'm 104 kilos, for example, or 152 kilos. The scales don't mean that much. The scales are just saying, hey, here's an accumulation of your metabolism over the past however many years you've been alive. Congratulations. Your gravitational pull towards earth is 96 kilograms. And... It doesn't have to be this easier said than done, of course. And this is me being general as opposed to jumping on the phone and breaking you in that way. Um, the scales are just a snap picture of where you are today. It can change tomorrow. It can change in a year. Where you are right now is not where you're going to be tomorrow and not where you're going to be in five years if you're planning on doing something. And if you are listening to this podcast, then fantastic. You're a smart person. <laughs> you're a solid decision maker. And you already know that you're going to have to do something that is going to put you in a better position. And this is hopefully the first step. And you just keep killing it from there. So the scales mean fuck all. They're not going to be this big self-worth thing. No one, no one sees you walking down the street and goes, wow, here they come at 102 kilos or... If you lose four kilos, no one's going to be like, wow, here they come at 99 kilos. No one cares. They just see you for you. So if the scales are a big mental thing, message me. We can run through it together. But one of the big things for a lot of people is scales are just an accountability tool. They're just, they're literally there as a, this is your gravitational pull towards earth today. Cool. Don't let it get you too high, too low, anything like that. It's just quite literally... Okay, this is what I am for today. Alrighty. 
And if you don't like what you see on the scales, then it's okay, cool. I need to do something about that. Or if you do like what you see on the scales, fantastic. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Don't let them get you too high. Don't let them get you too low. Um, but again, if you want me to run you through that and have a little breakthrough session with you, message me Facebook or Instagram, obviously at the fitness genie, you know that already. Um, last one, how do I get motivated during a rut slash plateau? Um, this one, how do I get motivated during a rut slash plateau? Make it sexy is the simple answer I'm going to give you make it sexy. So what I mean by that is you're in a rut because it's boring or you're in a rut because you're not seeing results. Hence the slash plateau that you've obviously asked me about. So let's focus on the word rut. First off, if we make the rut sexy, it's essentially just giving you something new and exciting and shiny to play with. For example, create a new Spotify playlist, create a new gym playlist, um, you could change your workouts instead of doing the same thing every single day, maybe switch. If you go to the gym four days, day one, two, three, four, maybe put three, four at the start of the week and one, two at the back, maybe change a few exercises here and there. Instead of doing leg press, try goblet squats or walking lunges or, um, hops and bounds and skips and jumps and all this stuff, supersets and things. Um, superset leg extensions with a bit of cardio mix it up every now and then is essentially what i'm trying to say if you're in a rut it's most likely because you're bored and upset with the fact that you know what is coming so change it up get a different program add in some new exercises switch the days around get a new playlist um buy some new shoes do something but for the love of god don't buy shoes every single week you'll be fucking broke um Get, get a new gym bag, <laughs> um, get some new leggings, um, do whatever the hell you need to do in order to get yourself excited about it. If that's a new program, get a new program. If that's communicating with your coach and telling them that you're bored, then fantastic. The best workout you're going to do is one that you're excited to do because you'll stick to it more often. You'll get excited. And then when it becomes comfortable, that's when you go, Hey, I need something different. So then reach out to your coach and say, I need something different because they will say, okay, cool. They should have a million and one ways and exercises for you to still see results, but love what you do. Um, that's the first thing getting out of the rut is make it sexy, figure out a way that you can make the rut sexy. And if that, and that usually comes from spicing it up or changing things around or doing something unpredictable or creating unpredictability, how do you get out of a plateau? This is a multi-phased question. I'm going to start by using the most generalistic one. How do you get out of a weight plateau? Meaning, let's say 100, because it's always a nice round number. We'll say 100. How do I get out of a plateau? I've been tracking at 100 kilos, uh, tracking my food and going to the gym and doing this stuff, and I'm still stuck at 100 kilos. Most likely what happens when you hit a plateau is A, You've been dieting for so long that you're becoming burnt out and without even realizing it, you're under eating during the weeks. So that means when it gets to the weekend, you go, oh, I'll just have a, I'll just have two glasses of wine here. Oh, I'll just order a small pizza on that night. So subconsciously you are seeking out extra calories 
and you'll justify it by saying, oh, I had a good week. I've done this. I've done that. And it is beyond common. So you're not the, you're not the only one that has gone through a plateau because obviously I'm willing to bet if 20 people listen to this podcast, if a hundred people listen to this podcast, 90% of them are going to be saying, oh my God, that was so me. That is so me. Um, cause it happens all the time. So, uh, how to get out of a plateau. If you've been tracking and all that stuff, um, give yourself a break. If you've been religiously tracking your calories and macros for years and you've gone from 140 down to hundred and now you're stuck at hundred, you need to change up what you're doing. For example, make it sexy. Um, getting from 140 to 100, for example, that's awesome. Congratulations if you've done that. But getting from 100 now to 80, for example, it's going to take a different methodology. Getting from 140 to 100 is, that's your first path. But then getting from 100 to 80, it's going to take a different method. So, for example, if you have your job right now, I'm just going to chuck out random numbers and stuff here. You've probably gone through your job your entire life. If you've gone through the promotional hierarchy, fantastic, awesome work. You clearly love what you do and you're getting rewarded for it. But if you started at, I don't even know, Woolworths, let's use Woolworths as an example. If you started stacking shelves at Woolworths, you might get um, $20 an hour. So going from $0 to $20 an hour, it would require the skill set of being able to pick up cans and put them on the shelf in a somewhat ordered fashion. If you want to get to $30 an hour, it's going to require a different skill set. You may have to learn to roster people's availabilities so that people show up and obviously manage that side of things in terms of time management. So then the skills required to go from $20 to $30 may require skill management or time management or conflict resolution or some shit like that. So to go from zero to 20, you were rather unskilled. It was just pick this up, put this here, repeat that action. You'll get $20 an hour. But if you want to go from 20 to 30, most people will say, what do I have to do to get 30 bucks an hour? It's like, well, you need to increase your skill in this regard. Time management. If you become good at time management, I will promote you and give you $30 an hour. You go, fantastic. So now you've got the skill of picking things up and putting them on the shelves and time management. So now you've gone from zero to 20, but what got you from 20 to $30 an hour was a different methodology. It was a different skill. It was a different technique, essentially. So then how do you go from $30 to $40? It's just the exact same thing as health and fitness. You're just going to continuously improve your skill set, improve your experience, and you'll get rewarded by that by essentially investing in yourself and going through personal growth things, learning to deadlift, learning to squat, learning to count calories, hitting your macros better. It's just going to take different skill sets over time and experience, and you'll get rewarded for that. But what got you from... 140 kilos to 100 kilos most likely will not get you from 100 kilos to 80 kilos. It's like saying if you want to earn $100,000 a year on the 
$20, let's do this quick little math. If you're on $20 an hour and you want to earn $100,000, boo boo boo. Um you would need to work 5,000 hours in the year, divide that by 52. You would need to work 96 hours a week, 96.15 hours a week. But can you do that? Probably. I don't know. I don't know what you're capable of. But getting to $100,000 at $20 an hour will require about 96 hours of work. I hope I've done that math right. Will require around about 96 hours a week at work in order to make a hundred thousand dollars or you could just simply upskill acquire a new skill acquire a new experience and then get thirty dollars an hour where in order to get a hundred thousand dollars now all you need to do is work hang with me while i do this quick myth do this quick meth wow not going to do that i would be out of a job um then you only need to work 64 hours a week at thirty dollars an hour so acquiring new skills, acquiring new experiences, obviously in this regard, are going to help your bank account and your free time and give you that freedom. In wow. Investing in yourself to develop skills that you'll have with you for the rest of your life, because you may not have the same job forever, but you will have your health with you until you die. So investing in the skills and the knowledge and the know-how and any other synonym I could use for education investing in those skill sets is going to be super important to continue your journey and in order to get from a to b b to c c to d wherever the hell it is that you want to go most likely the entire fucking alphabet so how do you get out of the plateau is by um figuring out what skill set you lack and working on it for example if you went from 140 to 100 and now you're stuck at a plateau and you weren't tracking the entire time well the next skill set that you're going to learn is how to track calories and macros or how to squat how to deadlift um getting a coach going through the whatever it is that is stopping you from getting from a to b or b to c in this regard so i suppose the short answer for getting out of a plateau is ask a professional ask obviously that's why you've asked me um hiring a coach or even just being like here's what i do at the moment and here's where i want to be what do i have to do to go to bridge that gap to go from b to c i've already done this here are my skills here's what i do here's what i want to do how do i get from b to c and the coach will turn around and say cool this is what you need to do and here's how you're going to do it and then you go fantastic i'm going to go do that and then you'll go off and learn that skill and then come back and then you've learned that thing. Now you've got it with you for the rest of your life. You know how to track calories and macros forever. So that if you put on weight or you want to start losing weight, then all you need to do is go back to what you were doing in the first place. Tracking calories and macros and doing your workouts. So I hope that was helpful for the people that did ask the questions. If I've missed something, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, message me and I will answer them for you as best that I can through voice messages or whatever. Um, but I hope everybody listening learned something from that and I'll speak to you all very soon.